Let's do open our Bibles to Acts chapter 3. Here we find a captivating account of a man who we could say was in dire straits. We all know that today's pandemic has put millions of people in the same place. And like many of you, I have friends who have lost their jobs. People that have been affected very significantly. Friends who have gotten sick and been sick for week after week after week, recovering from whatever bug they had. These are hard times. And this fellow in Acts 3, we find, was in a position that some millions upon millions have found themselves in, and that is unemployment. He had no job either. He was a beggar. And perhaps you've recently seen someone sitting on a street corner pleading for money as people walk by. And this man in our text, again, is hardly any different. Only he has been handicapped since birth. He has never taken a step in his whole life. He never got to run with the other children at school. He has never taken a leisurely stroll on the beach. Lame since birth, the text says. But all of that is about to change. So now before I read this passage, though, I do want to acknowledge all of the children that we have watching our service at home. How many of you kids are watching the service at home right now? Raise your hands. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> I am so grateful for the masses of children that God has brought to our church family. And so today I have a quiz for kids. Three questions for you, and I want you to listen for the answers as I read through the verses in just a minute. So here's your first question. Which gate in Jerusalem did the beggar sit at when he begged for money? Was it the pretty gate, the ugly gate, or the beautiful gate? Second question, did Peter offer the beggar gold or silver? A, gold, B, silver, or C, that's a mean question. Number three, we're going to read about a big miracle that's going to happen. Here's the question, which servant did this miracle glorify? Was it God's servant Peter, God's servant Jesus, or God's servant King David? Which servant did this miracle glorify? So remember, you're listening for the gate, the gift, and the glory. So everyone follow along as we read together now. Acts chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. It says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. And a man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along, whom they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, in order to beg alms of those who were entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms. He was asking for money. But Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze on him and said, look at us. And he began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, walk. And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up. And immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. With a leap, he stood upright and began to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they were taking note of him as being the one who used to sit at the beautiful gate of the temple to beg alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. 
While he was clinging to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them at the so-called portico of Solomon, full of amazement. But when Peter saw this, he replied to the people, Men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? Or why do you gaze at us? As if by our own power or piety, we had made him walk. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray and then we'll see what we can learn from it. Heavenly Father, thank you for this account that you have recorded in the pages of Scripture, this account that we can learn from. How spectacular this must have been. Thank you, Lord, for saving this, for us to experience it from 2,000 years later, to, to picture this, to glean the wisdom of God that was happening in this very moment. Lord, we have no doubt that there is a lesson and lessons in this text that You and Your sovereign plan have ordained for us to learn this morning, for this week, for this crisis. And so we ask that You would humble our hearts. Help us to recognize how desperate we are for truth from the Word of God so that we might know how to live without fear in this time. So that we might know what we are to do and what we are to say and how we are to live before the world. Such a unique opportunity for us to proclaim Christ. Lord, but how can we proclaim Your Son if we are not experiencing the fruit of Your Spirit? How can we proclaim a message if we aren't experiencing it in the fullness of its power in our lives right now? So we ask that you would come down upon this place, upon this community, and exalt your word. Open our eyes as only you can do so that we might learn from your word. We love you, Lord. We love your word. And we anticipate that you will do great things through it this morning. And all God's people said, Amen. All right, the suspense is almost too much to bear, so let's get to the answer, answers for our quiz for kids. Question number one, which gate in Jerusalem did this man sit at? Was it the pretty gate, the ugly gate, or the beautiful gate? If you picked the ugly gate, you weren't listening closely enough. If you picked the pretty gate, you're translating the text. It was C, the beautiful gate. Second question, did Peter offer the beggar, gold, the beggar gold or silver? And the answer is C. That was a mean, tricky question. Peter didn't have gold or silver, did he? Last question, number three, which servant did this miracle glorify? And the answer is God's servant, Jesus. Every miracle is a sign that points us to the awesomeness of Jesus Christ. Okay, great job, kids. For those who are a little older and want to take notes now, we are going to walk back through these verses and find that they contain a unique collection of lame mistakes for believers to avoid. You've got to pardon the pun there. 
But Peter really twisted my arm with the tone of voice that he used all throughout this text. There were indeed some lame mistakes that the men of Israel made in this text. And we, at the same time, we see some of the right things that Peter did that help us to learn how to avoid common, painful mistakes. Now, we all know that lame means to be unable to walk. But dictionary.com also defines lame this way. This is the use we're using. It means to be weak, inadequate, unsatisfactory, clumsy, as in a lame excuse. So let me be the first to say, I still make lame mistakes. Clumsy choices, weak efforts when I could have done more, inadequate attempts, unsatisfactory results. But thankfully, God's mercy is more. Aren't you thankful for that? My sins, they are many, but His mercy is more. But the mercy of God, we all know, does not lead us to willful ignorance or to careless spirituality. And it certainly doesn't excuse spiritual laziness, let alone sin. We know that Paul hit the nail on the head in Romans 6, verse 1 and 2. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? We can hear Paul's earnestness when he asks these questions. How is this even possible? How could a person even think this? Peter has the same tone of voice in Acts 3. And we recognize that rather than us being weak in our spiritual fervor and dependency upon God, we are called to be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. We see that in Ephesians 6.10. Rather than be inadequate, let us be fully equipped and supplied according to God's riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Rather than be unsatisfactory, we press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Rather than be spiritually clumsy, we heed to Paul's firm word to, to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.15. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, accurately handling the word of truth. If we do these things, we won't be quote-unquote perfect, but we will be spared a host of lame mistakes. So Lord, help us, right? Here's our first mistake to avoid. Verse 1 says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. Lame mistake number one, don't be caught praying. It's worth noting that God often does things in a big way when people are praying. In this case, even when they were on the way to prayer. This detail isn't included in the text for, for no reason. It's not in there by chance. It is for our instruction. E.M. Bounds put prayer in its proper priority when he said, talking to men for God is a great thing. But talking to God for men is still greater. Let's look at some examples of prayer in Scripture. If you jump to chapter 12, verse 5, it says, So Peter was kept in the prison. He was in dire straits. 
But it says, prayer for him was being made fervently by the church to God. What happened next? An angel of the Lord came and opened the prison gates, freed him from his shackles. Think back to 2 Kings chapter 20. King Hezekiah was on his deathbed. Maybe you recall this account. Even the prophet Isaiah had delivered a message to him that said this, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. But what do we see three verses later in the chapter? Thus says the Lord, the God of your father David, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I will heal you. There is a lot of theology packed into that account in regards to the moving power of prayer. What about Daniel in the Old Testament? What landed him in the lion's den? It was prayer. Kids, how many times did David pray or Daniel pray each day? Three times. That's what landed him in the lion's den. The wicked king had made a law that for 30 days, people could only pray to him, the king. But we know that Daniel would have none of it. What got Daniel through the lion's den alive? Prayer. Daniel 6.23 says, No injury whatever was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Read Daniel 6. It's amazing what happened in the community from the king down because Daniel was faithful to prayer because he trusted in his God. Acts chapter 3. The Scripture notes that Peter and John were men of prayer. That's one of the big four that we looked at at in chapter 2 these past couple Sundays, so we're not going to dwell on on it here. But the point is, everything we're about to read started at the hour of prayer. Verse 2, And a man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along, whom they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, in order to beg alms of those who were entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms. But Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze on him and said, Look at us. And he began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Oh, he did receive something, didn't he? But Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, walk. Here is lame mistake number two for us to avoid. Don't recognize what you have to offer. As a child of God, don't recognize what you have to offer the world. Let's make this very practical and timely. What do you and I as Christians have to offer the world during this pandemic? What does our church have to offer the community? What do we have to offer both to Christians and non-Christians? Can we truly offer something to them that is better than what they've already got? Better than gold and silver? And if we can, what exactly is it? Is it religion? Is it a moral code that they have to start living by? Is it a support group? Is it some, or is it something and someone who is much, much better? I love the way Peter put it. 
I don't have this, but I do have this. And what I've got, I am about to give to you. What does that sound like in 21st century English? Perhaps like this. I can't replace the job you just lost, but I can put you in touch with someone who promises to meet all your needs in the days ahead. Let me show you Philippians 4.19. Or how about this one? I can't make that person love you and treat you right, but I can point you to someone who promises they will never leave you or forsake you. Someone who will teach you how to love your enemies. See Hebrews 13.5 in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5. What about this one? I can't tell you what the answer is for that incredibly hard decision you have to make for you and your family right now. But I know someone who can tell you what to do. Lucy won't stop talking about Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Let's see what it says. Here's another example. I can't take away the darkness you are feeling in your life right, life right now, but I can point you to the true light. Let me show you John 8, 12. Or how about I can't heal your disease, but in my very hands, I have the medication to heal your soul forever. What does Isaiah 53 verse 5 say? By His stripes, we are healed. Christians, this is the kind of resource awareness that believers need to have if we are going to minister effectively in a very hurting world. We need to know our spiritual inventory. Not to mention the fact that when a believer is on top of this, he or she also experiences personal levels of divine confidence, direction, and joy in life. Ministry to others builds up our own faith. You can imagine what the ministry of preaching does for me every single week. Now, we can't all be pastors, but we are all definitely ministers. We're all proclaimers. We all have the truth. We all have the Spirit. We're all priests in the service of God. What does 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10 say? But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. Speaking of the church, you are the priesthood. A holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That's part of our inventory. We've got mercy to share. We have the family of God to share, especially to people who are lonely. I encourage you to take time in your own devotions and maybe in your salt groups this week to do some of what I've just done here. Write out several genuine needs and hurts in your family, in your neighborhood, at your workplace, among your friends on social media. Write out the genuine needs and hurts. And then write out what you have to offer as a child of God. We are children of God who have the resources of heaven at our fingertips. If we're not prepared 
with real answers. And if we're not repaired with the resources, we will miss the moments when they come. We will miss the opportunities. Windows will close. Thus the duty to prepare, to study, before the need in the moment strikes. It's vital that we understand this truth. Every follower of Christ is called and equipped to be a Christian counselor. That's part of our mission. We bring truth into people's lives in specific situations. That's exactly what we see, saw Peter do in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit arrived. Everybody came running and Paul was able to tell them from Scripture what was going on. He brought truth into the situation. He was equipped to counsel. I fear that we often do not counsel because we are not adequately prepared. And I can't help but think that if we are unable to bring truth to others, it calls into question whether we genuinely have the truth for ourselves. Genuine believers are genuine disciple-makers. I'm going to let the cat out of the bag here a little. One of my prayers and goals is, is to work together with our elders this summer to bring some high-level Christian counseling training to our church family as soon as possible. We've got an organization already in our sites. We're pursuing more information and a plan of action. Let me just say that nothing would get me fired up for what God is doing at Discovery quite like seeing many from our church family all lined up at the door waiting to get in when we announce that registration for counseling training is happening. We are all called to proclaim the gospel of truth to the lost and to each other, to our children, to our spouses, to our family members, our relatives, to our neighbors. This is our calling. But to proclaim it well, we have to know it well. And to know it well, there is no substitute for diligent study and personal application. Praise the Lord, I see God's people growing in all three of these areas. Let us continue to further equip ourselves and sanctify ourselves. That is, set ourselves apart for divine service. Devote ourselves to it so we can be all the more ready with the resources God has so freely given to us when doors open and opportunities arise. Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, walk. God help us to be more like that. Verse 7, And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened with a leap. Don't you love that? With a leap, he stood upright and began to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. I love that last phrase. Verse 9 does not just say, and all the people saw him walking and were amazed. No, he was walking and praising God. When God does a good work in us, let us not just be seen walking let us also be heard praising Him for it. Here's lame mistake number three. Accept the blessings, but be quiet. Keep quiet. What a tragic waste of opportunity. 
knowing where I was going to be in the, in the Word this morning with all of you, I smiled big at our small group, our salt group meeting this past week when one of the men said, part of my job is now on the line. But I already see God in it. He's been in it for years. When God blesses, we should be chomping at the bit to tell others about it. To point them to the One who provides. Again, we've talked much on this in recent weeks, and we're not going to focus long on it here, but let us be reminded to get and be and stay in the habit of praising God. Always talking about His goodness, both in what He does and in who He is. Is it possible we don't praise God more because we just simply aren't looking for His goodness all around us? Just yesterday, I was in Port Orchard, and the uh, day before, and my car wouldn't start. No surprise there. I am positive that Beelzebub lives in my engine. Battery is only one month old and it won't start. And I'm parked in a stranger's driveway. I went somewhere to pick someone up, something up from a stranger. I'm parked in a single lane driveway and I can't get my car to start. Five hours later, I looked back. All had been taken care of. And I realized I had broken down in the perfect place at the perfect time. That fellow had a little battery pack jumper. Ruth had been driving all morning around the town, around the community, and it never died on her with all the kids in the car. God, for whatever reason, in His sovereignty, allowed it to wait until I was driving the car and I would die down where someone could instantly help me. I was this close to calling for a tow. Such an odd, odd, odd uh, situation with the car. Five minutes later, we were running. You know, I got to chat with that fellow at that house just a little bit about God. And that evening, I told Ruth, can you believe it? The problem couldn't have happened at a better time and place. Thank you, Lord. You know, I may be slow, but eventually even I start to catch on to my own sermons. Praise God. Don't keep quiet when He blesses. Verse 10, And they were taking note of him as being the one who used to sit at the beautiful gate of the temple to beg alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he was clinging to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them at the so-called portico of Solomon, full of amazement. And isn't this interesting? But when Peter saw this, he replied to the people. Stop there for a second. This is one of my favorite parts of this whole chapter. Peter's response. It is just golden. His spirit-filled right response helps us to avoid some really lame mistakes. Mistake number four, see the opportunity, but keep quiet. Peter would have totally ruined this story if he would have kept quiet. And we see that this, key, this theme keeps coming up. We've got to be alert and prepared to speak about God and to minister truth into situations when opportunities arise. What a mistake to see an opportunity but not proclaim God. Peter continues in verse 12, Men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? All right, everybody in my church family, raise your hand if you wouldn't have been amazed. I would have been amazed. But Peter asked this question, why are you amazed at this? Mistake number five that we've got to avoid. Expect very little of God. When we wake up tomorrow, what will we expect of God? Is it possible we'll be so busy that we won't even expect anything? 
Is it possible we'll have so many worries that we'll tend to expect the worst? One of the things that I appreciate about Ernie, who's teaching our Sunday, adult Sunday school class right now, is that he often has a morning post on social media that basically says, I can't wait to see what God's going to do today. What are you looking forward to on this beautiful day? And it's pouring down rain outside. Yes. What are you looking forward to? That is the Spirit. Peter's put such an interesting twist on this. A lame man from birth has just been healed on the spot. And what does Peter say? What's everybody so shocked about? Why are you amazed at this, he says. It's a rhetorical question. The answer is, you shouldn't be so amazed. What did you expect from the power of God? And of course, he has some context that's different than ours. Jesus has just done miracle after miracle after miracle. And the men of Israel are shocked when his, Jesus' apostle does one too. So many lessons in that for us today. Why do we tend to not expect God to heal someone? To mend a broken relationship? To provide miraculously? Why are we so surprised when He fulfills His promises? I think our shock says more about our lack of faith and expectation than it does the power of God. Perhaps our surprise says more about us not knowing the promises in the first place. You've heard me mention in recent weeks, it's hard to remember, excuse me, it's hard to lean on a promise that you can't even remember. Thus, the need to be memorizing Scripture. So when moments hit, the words come to mind. The Word of God comes to mind. No wonder devotion to the apostles' teaching was listed first in chapter 2, verse 42. We shouldn't be surprised when the Almighty does something mighty. We shouldn't be surprised when faithful God is faithful to His Word. Let us expect more of God. And as we devote ourselves to the apostles' doctrine, their teaching, as we devote ourselves to God's Word, we will know what to expect. Look at what Peter says next in verse 12. Why do you gaze at us? Mistake number six, focus on people. I could just hear Peter, what are you staring at me for? (laughs) Christian friend, there is so much truth and wisdom packed into this simple question. Peter rebuked the men of Israel for focusing on people when they should have been staring at God. More on this in a second. Let's look at lame mistake number seven. It sheds more light on this. Peter continues in verse 12. As if by our own power or piety, we had made him walk. Here's the mistake. Give credit to people for what God has done. Or even worse, give credit to self for what God has done. It's so easy to fall into this trap. We were looking at the the pitfall of pride, the snare of idolatry, when we look to others for what God has done. We love to worship what we see. And we can see people Paul broke this mistaken identity into two points, power and piety. We're talking about strength and holiness. The challenge is that this error is made so subtly. It's the the one slight wrong turn that causes you to totally miss the destination. First, we have power. 
When God, some, when God accomplishes something spiritually wonderful, we must not credit people. Not the church, not the pastor, not the missionary, not the Sunday school teacher. We must not credit people for the power of God. The second is piety. We hear things like, he's so spiritual. She's so godly. Maybe if I'm spiritual enough, I can do great things for God. That's almost true, but it's totally false. It's more like God will do great things through us. Look at what God accomplished through her. Look at how God ministered through him. The focus is on God, and God gets the credit for what he deserves. This is true, again, for your pastors. It's true for your salt leaders. It's true for you. Of course, God allows us to be a part in what He's doing. I mean, that, that, just, that just blows my mind. But God does allow us to be a part. And we definitely want to be a people who give reason for others to praise God. But let us not make the mistake of misplaced focus and credit. It happens so easily. These are stunning corrections to our natural attendencies, our natural assumptions, our natural thought process. We tend to focus on how capable people are in the church, especially in leadership. It's easy to focus on experience and competency and to focus on how good people are. And there's a place for that. We are to look for spiritual fervor and leadership and humility in one another. But even Peter says, I can't believe you think my power or my piety accomplished this. Such error is a very lame mistake for God's people. Here's the thought correction. Verse 13. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You can just see Peter exalting God in how he's, the names he gives. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God of our fathers has glorified His servant Jesus. What's our final lame mistake to avoid this morning? Number eight, fail to see the big picture of God exalting Jesus. Remember what we studied last week. Miracles are just a sign. They're just a sign. And even this instance, there was something far bigger at play than a healing. Philippians 2, 8 and 9 teach us that Jesus humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted Him. One of the lamest mistakes God's people can make is to forget that every miracle, every blessing, every provision, every good and perfect gift is from above and is a Christ-exalting proclamation opportunity. And Peter grabbed this one by the horns and he ran with it. This lame fellow didn't just get healed. This was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorifying His servant Jesus. Let that sink in. The focus, the attention, the awe is all pointed at Jesus Christ. The Savior of the world, the Son of God, the King of Lord, Kings and Lord of Lords. 
Did you and I look around last week and see God glorifying His servant Jesus? Every knee is going to bow. Why not bow now? Every tongue is going to confess Jesus as Lord to the glory of the Father. Why not confess now? Why not keep confessing? For the true believer, confession does not just happen at the point of salvation. Confession continues. We are witnesses who confess what we have seen with our own eyes, what we have heard with our own ears, what we have experienced in our own hearts. Oh, that God would open our eyes to see Jesus being glorified more and more. These are a marvelous 13 verses, aren't they? So much more than just historical narrative. They are packed with the wisdom of God for the ages. For people of all ages. For people in all circumstance. These words are written for our benefit. As 2 Timothy 3.16 says, and even as I read these verses, somewhat with an eye on our present crisis, I stand amazed at how applicable and pertinent these words are for us today. How, how important they are for my family to know. For our church to know. For God's people to know. As we close, let me flip all of these lame mistakes to the positive. And you tell me if these will not make a massive difference in your life and mine during these most challenging times. And don't feel like you have to write these all out. I'm going to fly through them. These are the opposites of the mistakes we just studied. Eight great things for believers to do during quarantine. Devote yourself to prayer. Recognize what you have to offer as a child of God. Accept God's blessings and praise Him from the rooftops. Capitalize on the opportunities to praise God. Expect great things of God. During this quarantine, God's people should be the most eagerly anticipating of what is to come. Expect great things of God. Keep your eyes on God. Give God the credit for the great things He is doing. And savor the big picture of God exalting our Savior, His own Son, Jesus Christ. He's coming back. How we look forward to that day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for these uplifting, guiding, protecting, inspiring words of truth. The more we read Your Word, the more we're amazed at how, how profound the wisdom of God is. So as I just had the joy of studying in our family devotions the other day, that wisdom only comes to certain people. It's to those who have the fear of the Lord. It is those people who discover the knowledge of God and experience 
the shield that it is to them. They experience the guide that is to their steps. The protection that comes. The provision that comes. It is only the people who search after it like silver, who lift their voice and cry out for it, those who are attentive to it. Lord, help us to truly be of heart as King David was. And he said, oh, how I love thy law. Help us to be people who do devote ourselves by the grace of God to your good word, to our sweet fellowship, to the remembrance of the cross in communion, and to prayer. Lord, we affirm by the grace and the Spirit of God only, we affirm that the words we have read are truth. Grant us the grace to believe them more and more so that we might live them out and see God do what only God can do in our hearts, in our marriages, in our families, in our community. We expect great things of You this week, Lord. We love You. We thank You for the time we have fellowshiped in Your Word. Help us now to be doers and not only hearers, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.